Blue Wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Lean means touchdown throwing machine tonight, and he's got another one. Boyd. Welcome back to the Taj Boy Podcast. I hope and pray that everyone is taking care of themselves and their families in this uncustomary time. As one of my old coaches would say, do your job. All right. Practice social distancing. Now, in this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by one of the most heralded quarterback trainers in the country. A seven-year vet in the NFL himself. He's seen a lot. He's done a ton. A ton. His resume speaks for himself, but with everything that's happening in the free agency market, with questions surrounding quarterback play and who's going to go where, I wanted a guy with boots on the ground away in. All right, he's training the likes of Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Kyle Allen, and some of the biggest names in college and pro ball, including Mr. Joe Burrow himself. He's a father of two, founder of Quarterback Summit, and a global Lulu Lemon ambassador. He's from California, so you know he's extra cool. Welcome. Jordan Palmer to the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. This guy, man, he's you know I've known him since 11th grade. Uh, he's been he's been a great figure for me. He's definitely pouring in some information and some knowledge, not only in the quarterback ranks but you know off the field as well. And he's doing that with a lot of young superstars, middle school, high school, college, the pro ranks, you name it. He teaches it. He gives it back. And uh, I'm so excited about having him on the podcast. I know you guys are going to be thrilled to hear what he has to say because he has a lot to to talk about. And uh, let's get right to it. Jordan Palmer, welcome to the show. Taj B, thanks for having me, man. Of course, man. 11th grade, huh? We've known each other since you were in 11th grade. Yeah, bro. It's been a while. And it just, you know, I feel older and older by the day. And, you know, we're right here in the middle of World War Z and, you know, it's complete chaos, but yet you're a busy man. You got a lot going on right now. So, you know, for the people that don't know, tell people what you just finished up doing and, and, and what's next for you. Well, I've been a busy busy man now with uh, the current state of the world and pandemic. I don't know uh, what I'm doing. I'm, I'm supposed to be, where am I supposed to be? Today, I was supposed to be doing Josh Love's Pro Day at San Jose State. Um, that has all been canceled and preparing for Cole McDonald's pro day at Hawaii. And then also at USC, he was going to throw to Michael Pittman who I've been working with. And then we're going to finish up. We're supposed to be in Louisiana for the LSU pro day, Joe Burrow and a couple of his teammates. And so everything's kind of up in the air right now. And, um, but no, I just finished, uh, this is a very unique year, unique off season. Uh, but a typical right. off season is January and February, Heavy focus on on draft picks, helping guys transition from college to pro. Um, I've in the past I've just kind of picked three quarterbacks, but now I've got three quarterbacks and I had about a dozen pass catchers, receivers, running backs, and tight ends that I've worked yeah. with in one way or another. Um, and uh, and I'll I'll lead that January and February through the combine, and then spend most of March getting them ready, and then conducting their pro days. I think that's probably the last time I saw you was when I was doing Deshaun's pro day at Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this year, I think the pro days are out. I think all the visits are out. We'll we'll see. Um, so I'm kind of now shifting towards transitioning to or help players, um, you know, get to a confidence level where they can play well, even though they're unprepared. Right. Um, as every football player is going to be this year, uh, if we move forward and have a football season, it'll be 
every single person on the field will feel underprepared. Um, and so, well, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the tough parts because there are so many uncertainties. There's a lot of unknowns right now. Um, and for the kids who have been able to put it out on tape, who were able to go out, have their pro days, go out to the combine and perform and throw in front of your scouts, you know, they had an opportunity, but then there's some who float behind the scenes a little bit, who were looking forward to this one shot who might not necessarily get the benefit of the doubt. So, you know, from that standpoint, what does it look like on your side of it when you're reaching out? And do these coaches, you know, really buy into the input that you're giving when it comes to, you know, these specific prospects going forward? Well, in terms of, um, you know, this is going to be a weird year. There's just guys who, like you said, they – Steve Montez got to play in the Senior Bowl, right. go to the Combine, and we did his pro day last week. I mean, that's, that's pretty much everything you can ask for. But then you look at a Josh Love who played in the Hula Bowl but didn't get invited to the Combine and is not going to have a pro day. Um, Kyle Allen, I trained a few years ago. He had no bowl games and no right. Combine invite. And had he come out this year under those circumstances, there's no shot he would have made it. Right. Because nobody would have given him the shot or been able to see him. You know, the Carolina was sent, that was the only team that sent a coach to his pro day. <laughs> um, Scott Turner, who's now the offensive coordinator – for the Redskins. And, um, you know, the second part of your question is, do coaches really listen to me? I mean, I, I've got some great relationships on coaches and I have definitely built a reputation where I don't run around and tell everybody that whoever I'm training is the best. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the Kyle Allen, that example. Yeah. I think Scott Turner coming had something to do with the relationship that I've had with Scott and his father, Norv Turner for 10 plus years. And so when yeah. I say, listen, I think this guy can play. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I choose my words wisely and I, I think there's some guys who are ready to come in and develop and I have feel a good feel for what their plan should be and, and the, how long that will take. And I also have conviction in certain guys like I did in Patrick and Deshaun that year. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said for that, man, especially when you talk about, you know, honesty and integrity in this space, you know, sometimes what you see is a lot of smoke and mirrors You know, everything looks good on social media. You know, it's the guys that I train are the best guys in the, in the space, but that might not always be the case. And, and I got a chance to witness that and, and hear that from other scouts when they talk about, you know, which coaches they take, uh, you know, for one, for, you know, word of mouth um, and, and take it at face value or two, they say, Hey, look, you know, this guy, he always tells us that these guys are going to perform like this and they never do. And so, you know, word is key. And, you know, being in that space where your your reputation is built on, you know, the guys that are transitioning, that are performing at a high level, you know, it's really competitive now. And you got so many other, you know, distractions. You got so many other competitors. You know, for you, when you talk about narrowing it down and really picking out certain particular guys, you know, what does that process look like for you from an evaluation standpoint? Well, I think, um, you know, there's so many things that people's eyes go to because either they don't do this for a living or they don't, you know, they don't, they're not professional talent evaluators. And it's right. also because it's like fun and, and exciting. So like arm strength and people's running ability and, you know, touch and playmaking ability. It's usually where people's eyes go when they're evaluating these guys because, yeah. Because of what I just said, you know, and and um, and I get that, but I've been able, in, in a lot of cases, not all cases, but uh, to have to just know the guys 
more, whether it's because I met them when they were younger or I've, um, you know, know people that are surrounded by them. Uh, and so I, I can just kind of get to the bottom of, of uh, what I think is, is important in a quarterback. And my eye goes to a couple things first, way before arm strength or talent. Um, one, do they have a pattern of dealing with adversity well? It's the first thing my eye goes to. Um, I believe that confidence is the most important trait in a quarterback. And um, and so I I try and see what type of confidence do you guys have. And really good players have confidence. But what kind of confidence do they have? Um, that's going to tell you more about their, their you know, potential and their upside than any physical feature, I think. Um, and when I say what kind of confidence, I, I really put it in two buckets. Do they have reactionary confidence? Meaning if everybody tells them they're awesome and things are going great, then they're confident. And if everything's going terrible and everybody thinks they suck, then they question themselves and they start to wonder if everyone's right. Yeah. If they have reactionary confidence, I got to see, does this dude really want to learn? Is he smart? Is he capable of understanding and developing that? And, and changing away from that confidence to the, the one right. that I'll get to in a second. Like, are they capable of doing that? If not, I don't care how big and tall and strong they're, they're done. If they can't, they may make it whatever that version of make it is, but they're not going to make their reach their potential. Yeah. The second kind of confidence is self-generated confidence and self-generated confidence is really independent of the environment. So it doesn't really matter if people think they're awesome or think they suck. Um, they believe certain things about themselves and, um, and I believe that these, these things, these confidence, these are muscles, you can train them and develop them. Hmm. And so when I meet somebody who has self-generated confidence or really the next level is unwavering self-generated confidence, which means basically like they're self-generate and it, nothing matters, <laughs> does not matter. You put them in any situation. Yeah. I talked to Deshaun the day after he tore his ACL, his rookie year, and he was talking about how much time he has to prepare to win a Super Bowl the next year. Yeah, it's just the next day. You know what I mean? Right. And so, like, I don't think somebody told him to say that. I just think he has unwavering self-generated confidence. Yeah. You can see that when he steps on the field. And and I think when you're saying that, I mean, obviously, just watching the game, you know, loving the position for what it is. I mean, we, we saw that with Kyle Allen. I mean, this guy, you couldn't have, have thought or – or believe that he was an undrafted quarterback when he stepped on that field for the first time with the Panthers. But he doesn't see himself as that. He thinks that 32 yeah. teams screwed up and whiffed on him seven times. Right. Right? And so, yeah, that's on – now, it, it wavered. When when we started working together, he had just got – when we started for draft training, he had just gotten benched at the second school. Yeah. So it needed to be rebuilt. But that's why I say, like, you don't have to have it right away, but yeah. you got to be able to build it. And so a lot of it is adversity helps shape that. So that's why I look at I look at do they have a pattern of dealing with adversity well? And not everybody does. Uh, not everybody's dealt with a lot of adversity. Um, some people have dealt. There's levels to it, right? Oh yeah. And um, but then when you look at how guys generate confidence, then I start looking at um, competition. How competitive are they? And are they competitive in every phase of their life, or are they just competitive? You know, everyone wants to win in games. Oh, that's good, man. But are they like, for example, Joe Burrow? He just – he won all these awards, right? He also just got his master's. When I asked him, why would you get your master's? What's the point? He goes, well, I don't know because I, I could like no one else was. Right. He wanted to be smarter than you too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just in case you were paying attention, he wanted you to know that he's smarter than you too. 
<laughs> like that's a competitive learner, right? So then that makes sense in every phase he wants to compete. So really it's those areas. That's where I start with. And then I start on the physical side of things. Like um, there's three throws in football. They drive it, they layer it, they throw a touch. Where they add on that spectrum, we don't have to be able to do all three. In fact, very few college guys, when I start training for the draft, unless I've worked yeah. with them before, very few of them actually have touch, NFL touch. Um, and so, but th- they show that they can develop that. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of those things, but just like height and weight and arm strength, those things are just like way down the list for me, you know? Well, and I think <laughs> that's funny that you say that because it is eye test, you know? A lot of these so-called pundits or these evaluators, they come into it and they say, oh, man, that guy has a big arm. And one of the things that I learned, you know, when I was with Pittsburgh from Bruce Gratkowski especially was that arm strength does not matter, bro. And I remember uh, dropping back, throwing a pro out, and I threw it with enough space for my receiver to get up the field. And Randy Fickner chewed me like a damn like a dog running after a mailman all right and he was like that was a terrible throw and i'm like what do you mean like it was on time it was outside you know the guy had room to run he was like we throw a damn out route for him to get out of bounds not score a touchdown and you know it never dawned on me that that's what he was looking for that that's what he wanted and the fact that i didn't really ask him you know what he was expecting out of me was one thing that i was really taken back by and You know, when you look at some of these guys, some of the most high-level quarterbacks in the game of football, they don't have the strongest arms. They throw the ball on time and where it needs to be. And, you know, when you look at, you know, a guy, because they talk about that with Joe a little bit. You know, I think that Joe, man, Joe showed me so much, and I watched a lot of his games this year, but he showed me a lot in that Clemson game as well. Because for the first time in any game that he played in, I saw him fluster a little bit in those first three series. And then, man, it was just like a fire was lit under his ass, man. He just went to another level. And so when you talk about these kids being able to rally, being able to be resilient, you know, that's what you're going to look for. Because more often than not, that's what's going to happen with the next level. But, you know, being able to to improvise, being able to have wit about you when all breaks down are the really special components of quarterbacks, man. And, and he's one of them. And I thought that Josh Allen did that a lot this year as well, man, seeing his improvement you know, over the past couple of seasons has been tremendous. So the guys that you're working with, they look like they're built for it. They look like they're molded for it. And I just want to know, are these the same things that you're, you're teaching and you're implementing in the offseason when they come back with you as well? Sam Darnold too. Same as well. Yeah, I mean, I think everything that I do is about developing the quarterback's confidence. Right. And everybody's a little different. I take a physician's pro- approach. Um, I want to work together with the athlete, to, with the quarterback, to figure out what the diagnosis is. Yeah. Um, and then I want to give you a good prescription. So, sure. you know, there's not, I'm, I don't have like a theme where we're writing it down, you know, like Dave has yeah. got his word. I, I don't have like that, but I certainly, you know, if I'm going to spend a significant amount of time with somebody, uh, which is draft training and my NFL vets, then I want to have a really good understanding of what we're trying to do. And, and right. I'm not, not to get into personal stuff of what it is for certain guys, but for some guys, it's giving them the confidence that, yeah, you can play at the next level. And my opinion of that, like, for some guys means a ton, you know, and it's not a conversation. It's an ongoing thing throughout the entire offseason. And then for some guys, it's very simple mechanical issues, fixing the deep ball, fixing the outright, you know what I mean? Like those types of things. But everything's about the confidence, right? So let's say that, let's say Josh Allen, okay? This isn't private. A bunch of people said, oh, yeah, he needs to work on his deep ball, right? He had some missed opportunities this year. 
more than he should for his talent level. And the year before it was, it was, uh, can he throw with anticipation? And so we had spent a lot of time out on the off season. Um, but that's really the first part of the off season. He continued to work with Ken Dorsey, his quarterbacks coach, a bunch of great coaches at Buffalo and, uh, and made a huge jump last year. It was a lot better. So the, you know, there's someone's talking about this off season. Yeah, of course we're going to work on the deep ball and they just got stuff on Diggs the other day. And so there's a lot of exciting things happening and yeah, that's the next thing he needs to work on. But here's my point is yes, we're going to work on the deep ball, but what we're going to do is we're going to do things that are going to strengthen his confidence and his ability to throw the deep ball. Right. If we sit, drop back and throw into a garbage can all day long and that doesn't make him more confident in his ability to do that during the season, then what the hell are we doing? Right. So it's really just about that. And, and with a, a lot of guys, I mean, you know, you look at Sam Darnold's last year, last season, that whole mono thing, people can say what they want, but that was heavy, man. That was hard. He let, right. he felt like he let everybody down. It was kind of embarrassing. Like you're also quarantined. He's 23. He's locked in a, an apartment for like a month. <laughs> Sounds good to the person with a regular job. That's like torture to a, you know, a world-class competitor and professional athlete. All lies on him, yeah. And uh, and then to come back and then have the Monday night debacle on the sea and ghosts and everyone roasted him and so and you know New York's on him, and then his ability to just lock in and finish the season strong and keep guys from quitting, which is hard to do in the NFL. Yeah, um, it made it a great year because he dealt with some adversity that he otherwise wouldn't have or he was going to have to at some point. He did it last year, and he finished the season really strong, uh, playing really really good football to have momentum going into the off season. And that was a goal. That's something that we had, you know, had a conversation about and he went and executed. And what that does for next season is huge. So these guys, all whatever, whoever they are, it's really just about helping them develop their confidence and their ability to do things. And if it's a mechanical thing, like keeping, you know, Joe Burrows with an amazing year and all that stuff, there was some mechanical things to work on. Right. Right. And so us doing that for the last two months, and him building the confidence to be able to fix it himself. And, the, you know, in the beginning, when I start working with guys, I'm talking the whole time. The last week or two, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. They should be fixing it themselves by that point. And so, um, you know, Joe just flew back the other day and and uh, kind of just wrapped. And, you know, I the last week we threw, I was basically just setting up drills. If you came, if you would have came and watched me, you'd be like, dude, what does Jordan do? Does he even coach these guys? It's like, <laughs> not at the end. Right. They should be fixing it themselves. And so... Um, whatever it is, it's really just about building the confidence. And um, there's two things that are inevitably going to strike these guys. No matter what, they're going to go through them. Um, and that's the inevitability of success and adversity. Now, success and adversity, there are levels to that too. So success could be three good throws in practice or yeah. a life-changing event. And adversity could be three bad throws in practice or a life-changing event, right? It, whatever it is, there's levels to it. So how you deal with both of those things is basically how good you are. And there's a bunch of examples of, of players that um, handled one well and not the other. Or hand-to-hand one. Well, there's a lot of players that handle neither of them very well, too. Right. Those guys don't reach, they don't even come close to reaching their potential. But the guys that can handle both of them really well, be mature in both situations. Those are the guys that there's a direct correlation between those guys and the, and the super confident guys. And so what I try and do is take guys that have the potential to get there and give them the pieces they need. Well, and is that is that the edge? I mean, is that the difference? Because it sounds like, you know, you double a little bit. You know, you double as their, their mentor quarterback coach, but also 
you know, a psychologist in a way too because of the experiences that you have. Because I know that they, they, there are certain guys in the league right now that have a specific person that they work with, you know, on a day-to-day base, on a week-to-week base. But, you know, it has to be really convenient for these guys who, who trust you, who really uh, want to know what your input and what your opinion is on them. And, you know, where do you go with that? Is it one of these deals where you give them the honest truth? Is it specific to or dependent upon, you know, who that particular person is? You know, how does that how does that work for you as far as when a Josh calls you, uh, you know, after the Texans game or Sam calls you after the I'm seeing ghost game? You know, what does the conversation look like going forward from that standpoint? And how far does this really stretch, you know? For sure. Um you know, it really does depend. It's it's uh, case by case, I think, and some, and it and it varies throughout the year too. Kind of what role I play, but basically, the guys that I train for the draft. One of the things is if I if I train for the draft, I, I'm I'm down to help you move them forward. Sure. Um, there's guys that ask me the draft, like draft training is not what I do. It's more like what I do is I help guys on their journey. Right. Yeah. This QB summit thing. It's a total the quarterback. It's a total journey. It is. For some people, I help them their entire journey. For some guys one little stage of it. And I'm the best guy, but there's, there's times of the journey where I'm like the best possible guy to train with. Yeah. Um, and there's times where other people take over. Deshaun is a perfect example. I worked with him a bunch in college. He came out five, six, seven times, something like that. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And I trained, you know, spent every day with him for three months getting ready for the draft. And, and now he trains with Quincy Avery. That's perfect. They, they can have the same schedules. They can travel. They're very tight. You know what I mean? Like that's right. perfect. So I played a great role in Deshaun's life at the time when he needed specifically needed me. And which is why I'm totally fine. I don't have guys. I help a ton of guys. Some of them all the time, some of them a little bit. So um, it varies case by case. And and um, some guys just need a place to throw and some guys need somebody they can talk to. Then they can't tell anybody else about this. And uh you know, what I don't do is seek guys. I'm not the guy. I don't call guys after every game, text them. Hey, great game. Let me know when you can talk. Literally, I, I'll get I'll, I'll get phone calls or text from people and say, hey, man, I know I haven't talked to you in like two years, but can I ask you something? Right. I'm like, yes. So it just totally depends. And, you know, you made the comment earlier about Summit. Um, yeah, it's actually like cut, kind of a dual meaning. I mean, I one, it's the the peak, right? It's the, yeah. it's the highest point. But the other thing is a Summit is a gathering of leaders as well. Yeah. And so it's really what I do is bringing these guys together is, you know, my camps that I run, there's a bunch of from 11 years old to high school guys. And then I bring in college guys as counselors. And uh, so you really do. It is a gathering of leaders. Um, and I bring in a lot of other folks, too. And so leadership's a big thing we talk about. I don't have some acronym or some some paragraph of, to memorize of what leadership is, okay. but it is something that we talk through. Yeah. Well, leadership is. You know, the the ones that, the best leaders I've had are the guys who are willing to talk about the pitfalls, you know, who have sat there, looked at themselves in the mirror and realized that the steps that they needed to take to get forward, to get to the level of, of where they want to be. And they continue to share those experiences and, and they're vulnerable, you know. And so when you talk about that position, you know, they say it's lonely at the top. Well, it's lonely at quarterback, you know. And so when these guys get a chance to, to come across each other, to meet each other, to spend time, you know, it's special. You know, that's why I, I love the opportunity to be able to get out there and, and mix it up with the kids. You know, Brian Stumpf calls me. If I'm there, if I'm free, I'm there. You know, if, hey, come down to Elite 11. Come chop it up with the guys. 
because there's nothing like being in those guys' shoes where although technology has changed, you know, Instagram, Twitter, social media is this whole new, you know, added uh, piece for where these guys are going. It's still the same thing, man. It's still the same craft. It's still the mastery of it. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. So leading from the front, you know, is something that's very important. And obviously you're doing that. And now you got two new baby boys. I mean, you know, how old is Ford? Ford is what, five, four or five now? Well, yeah, he's uh, he's a little, uh, little past four, and then Reese is uh, a little past one. And, you know, having, having them, you know, is it one of those deals where do you feel like you playing the game, you coaching, you mentoring – you developing helps you be a better dad or having these kids, you know, Ford and Reese help you become a better quarterback coach, you know? Well, I think, you know, one, when you look at um, like parenting, I, I, I just look at coaching kids different now that I have kids because I can right. picture and go, man, this is somebody's Ford, you know? Um, <laughs> and uh, I've always really cared who these guys, when, from a coaching standpoint, I've always cared way more about who they are as people and how to pour into that and help guys than I have really just players. Um, so that's, that, that is pretty natural, but, um, yeah, I think it's been amazing having two little boys. Now I'm not, I can sit here and say this now and hopefully, you know, keep saying it over and over again. It'll come true. But, uh, I, I certainly am not going to force my boys, you know, try try and dangle them towards football or quarterback. Um, totally want them to figure out what, what is it they want to do and what they're passionate about, what they have a chance to be great at and whatever that ends up being. Uh, I was never all ball. I played a bunch of sports, played the violin for 12 years. I was in student body. Like, you know, I just, like I'm big do it all and compete in a bunch of different things. Um, but certainly man with, uh, with having two little boys and, and also working with a lot of players, um, it, it adds another level of, anytime I have a chance to pour into who they are as people, uh, I'm always going to lean on that side. Even if that means, not doing everything uh, on the football side. That's super dope, though, man. You, you got four, four. You said four beat up right now. Yeah, yeah they both are, man. Up. These guys are little These tanks. Are little tanks. <laughs> they run around, but um, I don't know, man. I dad pretty hard. We do a lot of adventures. There's very, very few days where we sit around and watch TV. So um, I'm on the go with these guys. Ford's got five stamps in his passport, and he's only four. Um, and uh, they surf, they skateboard, they do everything. So it's, it'll be fun. Uh, be a blast raising these dudes and they also come to the practice field every now and then and they're you know their uncles are pretty cool very, I mean, very, West quarterbacks. Coast, very, very swaggy man you very know? very swaggy lord's yeah. a dog town out here man you know yeah. I, I got a skateboard man you know got the trucks got the Clemson. he's the only kid he says the only kid on campus with a carver you know what a carver is <laughs> i don't bro what is a carver all right carver's the board you'll see this guy who's skateboarding around campus up putting his foot on the ground just pumping uh, but no, my nephew's, uh, he just regular college student frat, in a frat, came out to Clemson, loves it, man. He's at Clemson, he said he got a carver at Clemson? He got a carver, skateboarder, yeah, and uh, he's a freshman. Man, tell him to touch base with the boy. You know I'm always around. Man. Absolutely. I got about, you know, 15, 20 regular students that, man, they just touch base with me. And, um, you know, some of them try to get bids and fraternities and I'll touch base with the KA president or yeah, Sigma Chi, whoever it is, he'll be on the list. This this old guy for Project X out here is crazy, man. Yeah, (laughs) um, yeah. So it's uh, one thing too in terms of parenting that I've noticed is, uh, you know, for my older guys that are in the NFL, they're all like serious girlfriends. They're all they're gonna start families here in the next few years. They 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 watch 
you know, they, they're paying attention to me, how I parent and treat my kids, treat my wife and all that stuff too. So part of this is great for me because these guys, you know, they're watching. Yeah. It's and, an, it's uh, an influencing more than just, you know, they're, what happens on the field. And that's what I love. Right. For sure. All right. Now look, we got to talk about it, man. Tom Brady. All right. It's big news. All right. Tom, we knew it was coming at some point. I mean, we really did. You know, it was just its so crazy to see it put out there in the language, you know, that it was, and, you know, in the, in, in the context and, and Tom Brady, you know, being very descriptive on, on Instagram and Twitter and had the whole Patriots nation, you know, at a loss for words and, and, and with tears streaming down their eyes. But, you know, the, I just, I didn't love Brett Favre at Minnesota. And I didn't love Peyton Manning at Denver, you know. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to love Tom Brady at Tampa Bay. I really am. I, now, I think he has some, some playmakers around him for sure. But a guy like that who is funny because people will say that his – his success was predicated off of Bill Belichick, and I, re- I really do think that it was synonymous from that standpoint. I mean, it worked together perfectly because of how they existed. You know, does he go out to Tampa Bay with Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians and turn those guys into a contender right away? Well, I, I think I think he does. I mean, first off, there's the just the Brady to Tampa side of it, and then there's the New England moving forward side of it. So Brady to Tampa um, – I think it's a great fit. Look, there's no way that Tom Brady, in my opinion, was ever, ever going to go in the AFC West. Yeah. If he, he knows a lot of things. And one of the things I know he knows is that this whole league is built around your ability to get to the playoffs. Once you get to the playoffs, it's just a bunch of one-on-one, right? It's just us versus these guys, right? It's total. I know it sounds like, well, um, yeah, no crap, dude. It's one-on-one, but like, no, once you get to the playoffs, nothing matters. It's just you just got to win one more game to get to the next round. Right. And right. the best way to get to the playoffs is playing in a bad division. And every one of those division games is so important. So Brady was never going to go to the Chargers or the Raiders. He, yeah. Why would he go put himself in a position to have to play Mahomes twice? <laughs> right. And so you look at the NFC South and you go, man, Atlanta is, is up and down. Um, Carolina's rebuilding. And you got to play the Saints, and Saints are in a similar position. They got some talent. They got an old quarterback, and uh, it's just the teams that were on the table that one um, that one made the most sense. And and Brady playing a frustrating year that he just did with with uh, very little help around him has got to be feeling like this is the only thing he needed was more help. Sure. The other thing is, is Bruce Arians did this with my brother. My two or three of my brother, my last, my brother's last two or three years in Arizona were. About as good as his years that he ever had. He was runner-up for the MVP, um, Cam Newton's year. And uh, when he blew his knee out in Arizona playing for Bruce Arians, they were 10-1. and one. He was yeah. the front-runner for the MVP. Yeah, I remember uh, that, man. And, and he was 35, 36, 37, 38 years old those years. So when I look at that, I go, um, all right, this is a guy who – uh, and Bruce uh, uh, Brady, and that he, he can come in if he can get it the way that he wants it. And Bruce has made it very clear that he's going to, um, and he can take advantage of the disarray that this offseason is going to create for everyone. Um, I think he can flip them around really good uh, or, or really quickly. And uh, I think it makes a ton of sense. It's just hard for us to picture him, you know, those like ugly uniforms, small market, like Tampa, who nobody even pays attention to Tampa Bay. No. We all thought like, oh yeah, San Francisco, the Cowboys. He's like, he's a big name guy. He's got to go to these big name schools. This dude's a ball player, man. He's trying to win a championship. 
that creamsicle uniform. Gosh. So ugly. I know, man. I'll, I'll say this though. I I had said it all along. I didn't think for a chance that he was going to go back to going to go back to New England. And the reality is, I think Bill. And this is not offensive information. This is purely my opinion. Yeah. My I think Bill and Tom are both interested in succeeding without the other one. Prove something to themselves. Yes. Yeah. And Bill can coach a lot longer than Tom can play. Right. I mean, Bill could. Coach yeah. 15 more years if he wants to, right? Tom can play, you know, a couple at most. So um, it'll be it'll be uh, on the on the Brady to Tampa side of it. I think it'll be quick. Um, and then there's the wake that's left for New England, right? Everyone's talking about Brady. How about let's see what Bill Belichick's like? Yeah. Who's that? Jared Stidham back there? Yes, he does. I think Jared's the future. Yeah. There's a whole Twitter hashtag going around. Tank for Trevor. New England, they're definitely not going to tank, though. You know, Bill has no no surrender in him. You know, he studied generals his whole life, man. The guy knows what he's doing. Um, no, right. I think he's going to build a oh, championship. We're going. He's going to. I think he's going to reload. This is the best coach. The you know, best coach. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Let's talk about a bigger story than Tom Brady. Can you guess who it is? Man, bigger story than Tom Brady right now. Chase Daniels, baby. Chase Daniels? What happened to Chase Daniels? Man, he out here getting it done. Still locking in these contracts, man. What, where did he go today? I didn't see. He's at he's, uh, three years, like $13 million to Detroit. You know, i tell you, man. This man has had a hell of a career, Jordan. He really has, man. He, uh, I think he's undrafted, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Missouri. From Missouri. He's a great college player. And, uh, yeah, I think in, in the Saints learned how to play with Drew and – Always played well in the preseason. Played well when he had to get thrown into situations and uh, right. um, did the same thing in Chicago. And I think he stopped somewhere else, Kansas City, before then. And, um, you know, these guys, like, again, if, if you can fight, they, they, he's obviously handled success well, but he's handled adversity, getting thrown into weird spots. If you can handle those things really well and remain confident, um, yeah. you're going to put yourself in a position, even if you are 5'11 or whatever he is. Um, sure. and the thing I keep hearing about Chase Daniel too, is how he's one of the smartest players just understands the game, you know, could yeah. coach at a high level right now. Um, and teams, they, they find value in that. If you can come in and you, you're kind of the pass game coordinator and kind of coaching wideouts and also yeah. the number two players. quarterback and can start games and win if you need you to. Yeah. That's right. worth money. Yeah. Me and Charlie Whitehurst talked about that a little bit, you know? There's certain guys. I'm gonna be honest. Like when I was with the Jets, that's kind of how it worked, bro. Like, you know, Gino was there. Um, you know, I got drafted sixth round, but Gino was there. Mike Vick was there, and then Matt Sims was there. And they just had restructured the CBA to allow veterans to be on the P squad. You know, and it didn't help that Matt was the smartest one in the room. You know. So Marty Mornaway is throwing, I don't know, 60 plays a day install. I'm just trying to keep from drowning. Matt knows everything inside out. Like he's looking at his hand over there. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what this motion means tied into this protection over here, tied into this route combination, you know, kill two, whatever, whatever. And, you know, Gino and, and Mike would be asking questions and Matt would be the one that answered it. And that was a crusher for me. But, you know, these guys who understand the game at those depths, there's absolutely some value in that. And I think they make a lot of sense. Everyone keeps talking about with Patrick Mahomes, um, Alex Smith, 
you know, and how helpful he was in Patrick Mahomes that first year when he got to sit behind Alex and watch him. And I agree. I think that's really, really helpful. But the part that nobody talks about is Chad Henney. Who's yeah. been there the last two years and uh, helped helped uh, Blaine Gabbert in Jacksonville and then helped Blake Bortles in, ja- in Jacksonville. Um, has done an awesome job of teaching dudes on the field, off the field, the game itself. Right. Um, and so, yeah, he's he keeps just kind of quietly. He's the backup. Most people don't even realize he's the backup of the Chiefs. Well, yeah. I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't know that. It's crazy. Yeah. And he's – you <laughs> shoot, ask Patrick. You know, talk about Chad all day. So there's a ton of value in these guys. You know, I had, a, I had a, a t- probably one or two teams I played on was – they didn't work me out. It had nothing to do with that. I was developing other players. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's value in that. I think uh, we're going to see a time here soon where you got um, the private quarterback coaches – are working specifically with the teams um, and, uh, you know, and figuring out a loophole in a way where they can actually be a consulting for the team and working with the starting quarterback. And so you look at this and you say like, okay, well, um, you know, the big, the big money quarterbacks, these new contracts, everyone's going to be getting like 35 a year, 35 million a year. And quarterback coaches in the NFL make between 300 grand and 500 grand. All right. Who works for who? I don't care if the yeah. if the employee makes thirty five million and the employer makes four hundred grand, uh, uh-uh, that ain't the way it works. And so, and head coaches, shoot, head coaches make five. Yeah. And so, if you're a GM and you pick the wrong guy or you underdevelop a guy, you don't even those those guys aren't even getting interviews again, right? Watch, well, let's watch Chicago. Okay, they just signed Nick Foles. Right, but that guy drafted Mitch Trubisky second overall. I was sitting next to Deshaun in the green room when his phone didn't ring, and Mahomes went tenth. Let's see. Let's watch Ryan Pace's career from here on out. How that goes. How that affects him. Well, that's what kind of stresses me out about the Joe Brady hire. I just felt like it was abrupt, um, because to me, like when I saw what Joe Joe Burrow was and, and who he was, I'm like, I don't know if I could specifically say that Joe Brady was the reason for that, if you get what I'm saying. And so, you know what I'm saying? Because I know there was other factors that went into that. You know, the off-season trainings, you know, the progression, you know, the the familiarity with the playbook, you know, the verbiage, the command that he took, and, and the, the next approach of leadership, you know, just really one-upping it. And, and everybody's praising Joe. And I'm like, I don't know Joe. But I don't know wholeheartedly if he's the reason for Joe Burrow's success and the Heisman Trophy win. I just think there's a lot of elements to it. You know, a lot of things right, came right. into play. And, um, but, yeah, I don't know that you can put it on one thing. Um, but, yeah, evaluating quarterbacks, man, it's uh, – if it was easy, then um, teams wouldn't suck. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's hard. It's, it's difficult to do. That's why I just – like I said earlier, I just got a completely different approach to evaluating these guys. Um and so I, I take I get a lot of conviction early on with guys. Um, the way I started working with Joe Burrow is he came to one of my QB Summit camps last year. Yeah. I had heard a little bit about him. Now I heard about him the year before, so I watched LSU not his not this past season the year before twenty eighteen. Right. I watched every game, and people a lot of people don't realize this that LSU in two thousand eighteen led all of college football and dropped passes. And um, and so if you really watch the first half of the season, balls kind of like thrown to good spots and right. 
guys are dropping it or not getting open or not making contested catches. And the second half of the year, they started to. And so you blend the whole stats together. And Joe had a whatever, you know, just his year was just kind of like whatever. Um, but if you look at it first and ha- second half, he did really well the second half. So then he came out to my camp in the offseason. We started, you know, we were able to kind of break down a couple things and focus on a couple things. And um, he had already had so much momentum with his teammates and all these added pieces coming together. And I started going like, and I said stuff in the media about this in July. I said, you guys all want to talk about, you know, they want to talk about Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Trevor Lawrence. And you know what I mean? I want to talk about all these, right, these, right. these guys that everyone was talking about. And I'm like, there's a dude no one's talking about right now at LSU who's got a chance to win a national championship and a Heisman. And it was just all these understanding, like, wait a second, who your tight end does what? And your running back is who? And they didn't have a lot of, of big name guys. And, Joe just brought a mentality and an ex- expectation of execution. And LSU's always got guys, man. They always put dudes in the league. They always have DBs, you know, like, so like it doesn't, it's not hard for them to like turn the confidence and swagger on, you know? Oh, for sure. Um, and when all that stuff came together, it was like, well, wait a second. He's as confident as anybody I've been around. And it appears to be unwavering self-generated confidence. He's handled success really well, and he's handled adversity really well. Well, now I'm like, all right, let's watch him throw. He throws the ball well. Okay, well, how is he fat? Yeah, he's fast. I'm like, this guy's going to be a top 10 pick. Nobody even knows him. So if I can kind of like understand and get to know guys well enough, I, I, I haven't been wrong that much. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I'm just saying like if you look at the, the right ingredients um, – then I, I actually don't think it's that difficult to evaluate guys. Right. Man, I'll tell you what. What and cause what was you and Carson's background? Did your dad coach? No. No. He had nothing to do with football. He was uh my dad was a started as an intern and ended up as the president of a big company, you know, he just hard work guy, you know? Yeah. Um uh now we're the only two athletes and and honestly like I mean, Carson was an incredible athlete his entire life. I, I wasn't. Um, yeah. Carson won a state championship in basketball, Division One in California. Like, they're playing NBA guys all the time, you know? Yeah. Won two state championships in football. I mean, he was the number one recruit, Heisman, number one pick. When he retired, he was the highest paid player in the history of the NFL. And that was just not my story. <laughs> so I had one yeah. offer. Small school. I was a six-round pick. I cut right away. I played in the Arena League. I played in the UFL, and ended up playing seven years in the league. And and I had a, just had a different different journey. And um, but I think we both maximize our potential. The summit, baby. It's the summit. That's really what it is, man. It really is just trying to figure out like how do you continue to find ways to get better. And if you do that, and you play long like long enough, and you give enough good quality reps, right. You can get there. You can reach that. And and um, for some guys, that's starting their senior year in high school on varsity. Yeah. And for some guys, that's winning the national championship and throwing 60 touchdowns. And that's and and the difference between those two, that's not up to me. And and so I'm just I'm just trying to support and um and help guys on that journey. For some of them, it's you know, Stidham's a guy I, I still train. He asked me his junior year in high school if I just like, you know train them all the way through. So yeah, I am. And, uh, some of these guys come and go and I'm totally fine with it. So it's wherever I can be most helpful. Hey, look, Jordan, I'm gonna be honest, man. Like 
I wasn't. I couldn't hoop either, bro. You know, I could never use the left. I think I was the only black dude in my school that couldn't dunk. You know, we had we had a lot of black dudes in my school, and uh, I'm, on, I'm on the board at one of the y, YMCA's around here. You know, and so these kids get excited when they see me. Like, hey, Mr. Boy, man, you know, shoot the rock, you know. And I, I went out there and went 0 for 9 from the floor. Mm, heartbreaking. That, heartbreaking. It was, bro. It was really, I was disappointed in myself. I said, who am I? It was like that moment in Space Jam when Charles Barkley got his powers taken. And the girl says, Charles, Charles you, ain't, you ain't him. You just somebody that looked like him. I was like, damn. I felt that way, bro. It happens. Humbling. humbling. Yeah. What can you do? It happens. <laughs> All right, all right. Last one here, man, because you know I know you gotta get back to it. It's midnight for the boy over here, and I gotta get up and go for a run at five. But can you remember a time? Because we're talking about the summit, we're talking about the peaks, the valleys. You know, what does it look like when we, you know, reinvigorate, rebuild ourselves? You know, from the ground up. And obviously, you had these moments, but what was that time where you just felt absolutely gutted? And what did you do to pick yourself back up? Um, well, I had one, uh, you know, I had gotten, I was in the NFL. It was a competition with me and another guy. And basically all through the off season, all through training camp was pretty even and, uh, and good and bad even, you know, we, we both have a good day and we both have a bad day. And, and so as that continued to go on, we got to the third preseason game and, um, it was really kind of the first time we both, either of us had like kind of not, uh, I wouldn't say played terrible, but just like didn't, didn't play well, you know, didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Right. And the coach, uh, um, kind of said basically like we're, it's going to come down to this last game. And this is the part that like fans and nobody cares about, right. Who cares who the backup quarterback is and the amount of money, it's a lot of money for the amount of time that you're putting into it. You know what I mean? It's like four or five, 600 grand, which is like a lot for that year. But of the course of like a lifetime, it's 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 really big moment. Um, but put in those situations is super. You know, for me, it was always a lot of pressure because I never knew if I was going to make the team the next year. Every year I played, I was year to year. The difference is, is like this year I had just gotten married. We had just kind of moved out there together. Like all of like I, I had to make this team. Right. And to have that third preseason game go the way that it did, it didn't matter if the other guy didn't play well. I just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Mystical. I don't remember what happened, but whatever it was, it was like a, you know, C. It was a C, a C plus, whatever. And so to be down in that situation and thinking about a million things, I had a guy I was working with then. I still work with now, Trevor Moad. He's a sports psychologist. Well, he's a performance psychologist, and um. And so I had talked to him before the fourth game. Fourth game was basically if I play better than the other guy, I make the team. Yeah. And uh, um, I, you know, I said, hey, I got to talk. Here's the situation. And he goes, well, what do you? What's on your mind? And I, my answer was five minutes long. <laughs> it was all these things on my line, on my mind. Um, and uh, he sort of started talking to me about take the things that are just fact. Like he calls it neutral thinking. Take the things that are just fact, not. What could happen? So if you play bad, you could get cut and have to move home and all these things. And that's just all these different things that you could think about or if things go awesome and, you know, here's what could happen. And all. But what is just grounded in fact? I need to complete drives. I need to get the first first down. I need to, you know, and just and all the, my five-minute answer of all the things that were on my mind changed to I just need to do these two or three things. Yeah. 
simplify the game. And I simplified the entire situation. And so because I was trying to simplify the situation, when I studied, I just kind of simplified each play and was like, you know what? Kick it out to this guy or keep it one high, two high or whatever. And then when I got to the game, I kept it really, really simple and it ended up uh, going well. I don't remember what happened exactly, but I know I threw a bunch of touchdowns, no picks and we won and it was awesome, right? (laughs) Couldn't have gone better. And um, I just kind of made a commitment to myself after that to keep things simple and to simplify that. And as I've coached, um, I, the number one thing I do as a coach is I simplify a very complex position. Um, the emotional situations guys get put in, I'm helping guys this off season with some things that have nothing to do with football. Um, mechanics, simplifying that there's only three throws drive layer touch, simplifying that there's only two coverages in all of football man and zone. Yeah. Variations of man variations of zone and a protection when they block five guys up front, and a five-man protection, they need to go three by three, three on one side, two on the other, or four and one, or full slide it. That's it, right? Like just simplifying these things, um, and that moment really changed my life forever. Um, because I think a big reason that if I spend a day with a quarterback, he'll probably want to spend another day with me. A big reason that's true is because of my ability to simplify the game. And had that adversity, that bad situation, not happened, I don't know that I'd be able to say that. That's good stuff. Appreciate I mean, it, man. That sounded like philosophy to me. It's pretty poetic too, by the way. Yeah, and I don't I'm not I'm not necessarily a wordsmith, but I have I, you know, I, I can't really be full of crap. I can't I have to know what I'm talking about. Right. Because I'm working with you know, I'm working with smart I'm talking about smart people who've been right. around it. And then you talk about the coaching side of it, the college and NFL coaches and front offices, GMs and some of the owners that I know. Man, these guys' BS detectors are as good as anybody's. And so um, I spent a lot of time studying. I spent a lot of time surrounding myself with really, really smart people. Um, And I listen. I've always been coachable. I wasn't always a great coach, but I've always been coachable. And and so I don't know. I just think a lot of the stuff I'm doing, anybody can do. That's good, man. Well, look, Jordan, man, proud of you, man. So excited for the next generation of quarterbacks that you're shaping, man, and and uh, I think I think we're at a, at a fun point in the game. You know, it's interesting because we're starting to see a lot of the guys that we grew up watching that we loved um, transition out of the game. And there's a new crop of kid here, new crop of, of athlete, new crop of of leader. And so, you know, each player is individual in their own right. And um, I think we're in for some fun years going forward. So should be good. I, I totally agree, but what's one thing that's been crazy that I've seen because I've been around the Elite Eleven since it started. I've been to all twenty three of them. Yeah, and uh, I was like a little kid when it started. And one of the things that's changed is most of the quarterbacks, the young, awesome superstar quarterbacks. I'm not gonna say all of them, but most of them are like really good humans. You're like yeah. all these dudes, Justin Herbert has like a four Joe Burrow got his masters. I think Jalen got his masters. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're all, like, really good students. Right, and, right. like, Deshaun graduated in three years. He was on honor roll from third grade until Dean's List, his junior year yeah. at Clemson. And so was Mahomes, right? So, it's just, like, all these guys are, like, good people. Good, And it's just faith. faith. A lot of these, these really good young quarterbacks are big-time believers, and they're, they use football as their ministry. Bo Nix is an amazing guy. Trevor Lawrence, amazing guy. Like, 
there's always going to be some guys who aren't really mature off the field or still say dumb things or are a little yeah. too into themselves for sure. But those guys are the minority these days. Yeah. High school, college, and NFL. There's just – I'm not even going to say examples of the wrong way, but there's just not that many of them. There's not. <laughs> well, and, and when you do, it sticks out, you know? Totally. It sticks out. And so, yeah, we don't got to say any names on that, man. But you know, So it's guys, exciting, like, man. You're, it's exciting because these are the guys, the young men that are leading. I, I feel like I work with some of the most influential young men in the world. Yeah. I do. You do. You do. Yeah. And um, at the most influential times in their lives, and for a lot of them, I'm 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 a, a big influencer, or, or sometimes the most influential person. So, um, you know, you said it's lonely at the top, and it's lonely for these quarterbacks. And uh, I, I breathe rare air too, and and uh, I think that's what's so exciting is the ability to impact other people, and what these guys can actually do with their platforms. And so the fact that there's a lot of really good dudes, Tua is another one, you know. Um, at the top of high school, college, and pro right now, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I've loved, I've loved watching post game pressers with Deshaun, you know, with Kyler, with Lamar Jackson, with Sam Darnold. I mean, these guys, the humility, you know, their professionalism. These guys are pros, you know, like a pros pro. Very early, and a lot of these guys it takes some years to understand that, but it seems like they're they're catching on to it right now. And that's the one thing I said about Joe. You know, people ask me what I thought about the game after the national championship, and I said Joe looked like a professional quarterback out there. He did. He looked like a pro. I think, you know, the way he carried himself, the post game presser, <laughs> just the way he carried his cigar, it was lit, man. You know, I was excited to watch him, and uh, can't wait to see what happens for him going forward too. So. You know, tell Steven, man, to, to do his thing. Tell Love to keep his head up, man. And, and um, you know, all it takes is one team. He don't need all 32 teams. He just needs one team to take a shot on him. So, make the most of it. 100%. Um, well, thanks, man. Been a big fan a long time. Hey, thank you, man. And, uh, look, I'm definitely going to come out to the West Coast, come link with you. Um, I got to learn how to swim. So I can You're always swim. welcome, man. Uh, Always uh, welcome. We'll figure something out. I'm gonna bring my skateboard down with me, bro. Figure, figure it out. Definitely. I'm gonna connect you with my nephew too. You guys should whip around, whip around that hey, canvas. Bro, tell him to tell him to shoot me a text. Link up. You know, I need to learn some of the ways of the world from the west side. I know? will. I will. He's not short on swag. <laughs> All right, my dude. We'll catch up soon, man. And uh, hey, keep leading the way. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, JP. All right.